Hello to everybody listening. I'm joined with Malabika today to talk about diversity and engineers without borders. She's got some great ideas and I'm really excited to hear all the different ideas that she has. But before we get started, Malabika, could you introduce yourself? Yes, of course. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me here. I'm really excited and looking forward to talk about the topics, which is really very close to my heart. So my name is Malabika Ray and uh, I'm working in Volvo Cars in Stockholm. And uh, I'm working there as a senior engineering manager and uh, looking into something that is called car services cluster, which basically works with the uh, after sales service of, of the cars. And uh, we make my teams make software to support that. So overall, I have about 20 years of experience and I have worked uh, in and lived in various countries. I'm originally from India, but then I worked in France and UK and finally settled here in beautiful Stockholm. And uh, uh, I'm an outside my regular day job. I'm also quite excited about the concept called engineering for humanity. So I am uh, part of the NGO called Engineers Without Borders Sweden. And I'm chairing that organization with. So yes, that's briefly about me. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. So the kind of format for this podcast, we've pre-prepared some questions earlier that we're going to go through um, and get your ideas and your thoughts on. But if anybody does have a question while they're listening, please pop it into the little description box below or the comment section and we can share it on screen and answer it live for you. Um, does that sound okay, Malibika? Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Lovely. So I guess the first question that we kind of prepared together was what inspired you to become an engineering manager at Volvo Cars? Yeah, so obviously, uh, as I said, that I I am an uh, engineer by training and I started working as a hands-on engineer uh, long back uh, in the year 2000 in Bangalore. But then after that, it Part of it was steady career progression, so becoming senior engineer, taking care of the lead uh, positions, and finally becoming manager. Uh, that also happened, I think, more than 10 years back now. Uh, but when I came in to step into that role, I found that it's uh, it's quite exciting. I'm enjoying it even more than the hands-on job. Not to say that I don't like the hands-on job, but here, actually, there is a chance to impact people more. and. Uh, um, that that actually the in the the aspect of influencing and impacting that actually um, made uh, the the choice of this role quite easy. And then when it comes to Volvo cars, uh, it's been kind of recent journey for me. But the reason one of the reason I joined here because uh, we are really in the middle of a huge transformation. Uh, uh, we have a, a great ambition to go all electric by 2030 and uh, at least 50% electric by 2025, which is, well, obviously not that far away. And uh, today, uh, I mean, any, as any one of you know, those modern electric vehicles are very much very closely tied with the modern software development. So here I can see that it's, there is a direct impact on what I'm doing. And also, I'm, I'm pretty much passionate about training the new engineers and making sure that people reach their full potential. So, yeah, these are a few reasons that I have chosen uh, the job that I'm doing today. Perfect. Well, very nice reasons. Um, and when it comes to having a team that's across multiple borders, is that something that you've had your first challenges with at Volvo Cars or your first 
um, experiences with, or has it been something that you've been doing for quite a few years? No, I think I've always done that because yes, so the, my first team lead experience when I was still in London, uh, I was working in Thomson Writers and I got a team of five and all, all five of them were based in Bangkok. So I was in London and my team was in Bangkok. So that's how it all started. So I actually never had a team where everyone is co-located as me. Uh, when I was in Italy, obviously our, our team was spreading all across Nordic and Baltics. Uh, when I was in Fortum, we had people in Poland and uh, in F Finland and here. And uh, today in Volvo, obviously we have uh, people in Stockholm and Gothenburg. I know it's the same country, but still, I mean, when it comes to uh, working remotely, it's still the I mean the same kind of challenges, similar kind of challenges applies. Uh, and also we have consultants from Poland and India, etc. So yeah, the I have never had a team where everyone sits in the same office at the same time. It's it's always been a mix of uh, on and off. Show. That that's really interesting to hear. I think it's something that's quite unique to your experience as well that you've never had one team that you can see everybody face to face. Could you describe some of the challenges that you've had when it comes to managing or leading a team with different locations, different cultures? How have you overcome some of these things? Yes, so that's been quite uh, challenging, at the same time quite rewarding and sometimes quite a big eye-opener. For example, I mean, when I come from India, I worked in uh, France and England before, then I come to uh, Scandinavia, then I kind of feel that maybe it's very homogeneous. When I had a team, for example, located in in uh, Norway, I didn't think that it, there will be such a big cultural change. But it is. It looks like for whatever reason, it's it's not exactly the same as uh, the, the Swedish working culture. Even though, I mean, uh, maybe for, well, now I know after spending 10 years, but it's maybe most of the people, they will not be able to distinguish one Swedish, typical Swedish person from a typical Norwegian. So it's, uh, but the cultural difference is more uh, uh, more complicated than just the look and feel of, of uh, and the way to overcome it, what I have understood is that, you know, try to find out the underlying commonality despite having all this. So even in India, like I am from Calcutta and then I started working in Bangalore, which is 2000 kilometers away, and we were speaking to completely different languages and the scripts were different. So even in the same country, you can have so much variations. So my approach is just try to find, like, at the end of the day, we are all human. We are working in an industry, maybe in a company that has some common goal, and then try to find those common threads and start building trust and openness and friendship around that. And that has always paid off. Uh, now I'm very proud to say that I have friends all over the world, in, in America, in England, in France, in, in Finland, and they're very dear to me. They uh, they don't speak the same language as me. They don't look any. They don't look anything like me. But we are we are real good friends. So because maybe there are some underlying commonalities. So it's 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 really important to find those things, the common threads that basically unite people together. No, that's that's a great tip. So how do you go about finding these common threads? Yeah, I mean, in a working context, of course, there is a, I mean, we are working towards a common project or a product or like in Volvo cars, we're building something, building a software, which is, which would serve the future cars. So that's one thing. And then obviously we have been working in 
in common technologies, maybe in the, in the AWS Cloud Platform or in the Java code. But, well, in, maybe someone is not doing Java, someone is doing Python, and someone is not doing AWS, someone is doing Azure, but still there are those technical similarities. That can be a starting point of the, of the, uh, of the conversation. And then when you think, then you can take it a step further. Why are we doing it? What are the like North Stars? Uh, then maybe you think that we want to go to all electric. Why? Because it's good for the climate. It's good for the planet. And we share the same planet and there is no planet B. And then you can see, okay, those connections seem stronger that we all start to work towards uh, working for a common good, for a common goal. And then basically the other things come up. Then maybe when you uh, build the trust and the friendship in the morning a level uh, I mean further, then maybe you find that, okay, maybe you like the same music or maybe you like the same kind of beer. It could be anything. Uh, and, and, and it starts with that. And as I keep emphasizing that, I mean, at the end of the day, we are all human. We are, we are, we are facing the similar challenges, whether it's a, a climate crisis or, or, the, or a big war that's happening and, and the cost of living crisis. So those are the things that is affecting us in the same way. And we are trying to come about that in the same way. And in, a, in our job, uh, environment also we are working towards a common goal, the common project, the common target, common delivery, etc. So those those should be the thing that should be that should tie us together. Not basically, yeah. It, even though we are coming from many different backgrounds. No, that's definitely definitely a very good point to finish that that question off on. Um, so thank you. So moving on to our next question, how do you foster diversity and inclusion within your team? Yeah. Do you believe it's something for, that's important for somebody in your position to do or have you had any perspectives, different experiences that kind of alter from that? Yes, definitely. So diversity and inclusion to me is is really ingrained. So I don't think that this is something that I have to constantly remind myself of. Uh, for me, I mean, as you can understand, that's coming from a, from, from a different background and trying to get a foothold in, in different uh, countries. It's uh, it's not just a buzzword for me. For me, this is my uh, daily, day-to-day, I, I uh, find the challenges and then try to overcome it. And as I'm a manager myself, I see that it's, it's, the, it's the duty of everyone in the leadership positions to make sure that the diversity and inclusion becomes the norm of the thing. It's not the exception, it becomes the rule. And I don't think uh, we need to do it because someone has told me to, or we need to, uh, you know, tick some boxes or read some statistics. Uh, that's not about it. Because if we, as we go more diverse, uh, we open up and we actually uh, open up for, you know, maybe wider pool of talents, different ideas. So it's really good for the business. It's good for the performance. So uh, yes, I mean, I try my level best to foster the diversity in inclusion, but I do not believe in uh, putting any kind of quota because it's uh, in my mind, it would be a kind of derogatory to suggest that in order to attract diverse talents, we need to lower the bar. That's absolutely not the case. There are people uh, from any background uh, what's super smart it's a question of finding them and making them welcome to the organization and if we can do that then we don't have to i mean go through any quota or any artificial systems to attract no i agree i think that's a really good point um and i think it's something that a lot of different people i've spoken to recently have 
said is that they don't want to, you know, look at a CV and just pick that person because because of something in their their CV yeah. that's different to theirs. But how do you go about that when you're when you're recruiting for people to join your team? How do you make sure that your process isn't biased and that you are picking people who are the best for the role and while staying diverse? Yeah. So uh, what I have seen that at least in Volvogers and uh, it, I mean in our HR recruiting department they have done a good job. I can't take the credit for it. It's done by a different department and teams, but I really appreciate it, uh, and I use it quite a lot as a hiring manager. Uh, is that we have a script, for uh, example, someone is applying uh, to be uh, an engineering manager in my team. Uh, we'll have to go through at least three different levels of interview. One is technical, one is uh, leadership, and one is uh, delivery and execution. And we have prepared scripts for all of them. So it has same kinds of questions in different categories. For example, for leadership, maybe we want to assess the, the empathy and the leadership. Uh, there are a few questions in, in that category, or maybe we want to assess the understanding of agile process. There are a few questions in that category. Uh, so that's a very good step forward because if you are asking the same questions and uh, later on, if you are comparing the answers, then uh, to a great extent, you are comparing apples with apples, not apples with oranges. Uh, so that's a good step forward. And, after, uh, and that's bearing fruits, I would say. Uh, it's... Uh, I mean, we could see people coming from various different uh, ethnic background, uh, very different, uh, I mean, age categories, etc. And uh, I mean, in the leadership position, at least uh, there are a good participation of women. Unfortunately, not so much in the actually hands-on technical engineering level, but that's more complicated problem to fix because we have do not have equal uh, representation of women in the STEM subjects in universities. So unless that is fixed, it's very difficult to fix it later on uh, in the chain where we are trying to hire. So yeah, the question is, uh, when in Volmokers, at least we are trying very hard and consciously to make sure that uh, we we cut out the biases and so that uh, we try to attract all kinds of uh, talents from different backgrounds. That's wonderful. It's great to hear how Volvo are doing that and that your HR department are taking it really seriously to make sure, make sure the new generation that come through are equally as interested in engineering. Um, wonderful. So the next question that we've prepared is, could you tell us a little bit more about your project and the collaboration that you've done and how you collaborate effectively with a remote team? Yes. Um, so um, obviously we have... Uh teams located in two cities in, in uh, Sweden, Stockholm and uh, Gothenburg, and then we have people working in Poland and India. Uh, in India, at least the time zone is also quite different. Uh, and uh, I think we have a couple of teams based in US as well, West Coast. So that gives us a really wide spread of the, of the time zones. Uh, so that is the most tricky thing to balance. Other than that, I think in the uh, in the present context, especially post-COVID, people are really used to doing a lot of the Zoom calls, team calls. Uh, so, uh, and also we use a lot of collaborative tools such as Mindoboard, where we can people can collaborate uh, almost like uh, in the same room if they're there and working on a whiteboard. Our, uh, we we use uh, tools like Notion Page, uh, which is a collaborative tool where people can write on. Track the backlogs and, and 
follow follow through different projects and process. And then of course we have Slacks and Teams channels. Um, so uh, I would say yes. I mean, a lot of uh, those tools are in place. Probably it was, even more, many of them were in place even before pandemic, but pandemic actually gave people, I mean, old habits die hard. So it was, it wasn't there before pandemic, but right now it's become, I mean, sometimes I, I, I mean, it's very, uh, the, the actually distinction is becoming blurred and blurred uh, because yesterday I was in office, but then I was taking calls um, and locking myself in, in a room and taking calls and, and talking to my colleagues in Gothenburg and Poland. And today I'm at home and then I'm doing the same. So as far as they are concerned, it, it's not that difficult. I mean, they're not that different. Uh, but sometimes, I mean, when I go, I mean, travel down to the Gothenburg and have a coffee with them, and maybe in, in Stockholm office, when I go out uh, for lunch with my Stockholm colleagues, yes, so that that is very hard to replace. I mean, we tried like virtual fika, uh, never tried virtual beer. I mean, it's difficult to organize that things. But other than that, um, I mean, as far as daily works, uh, it's it works kind of pretty okay. Yeah. That's good. It's interesting, isn't it, how the I mean COVID the technically like the first lockdown in the UK I think started three years yesterday. Yeah. Um so we're three years on now from the pandemic, but it's Idiot. crazy. Central. I know. It's crazy to see how the things that we implemented quite quickly then have lasted this long. Um in in that kind of remote setting that you just described, how do you how do you manage as a leader the communication from your team? How do you prioritize it, make sure make sure that the team turn up to meetings and are okay with the different time zones. Yes. So, uh, I mean, what we try to do is find some time, which is, it's not a very odd hour for anyone actually. So if you have India on one side and US on the other side, then actually because it's easier for us, maybe it's our afternoon, uh, but, uh, maybe someone in India will join, uh, at 7 PM and someone in, in US will join at 7 AM. Um, but we try to find those kind of things. And then we also try to find out, do we really need to have that meeting or not? Because sometimes we have seen this probably it's, it's, I mean, there are so many meetings these days across all the organizations that I have ever been to. Uh, and, and one can seriously question if we need all of them in the same format. So asynchronous communication is also another key. I mean, if, if someone is, I mean, you know that. Uh, for for your colleague in in US, it's it's still the middle of the night. You don't need to awake him by sending I don't know a Slack message or something. You can drop an email, um, and definitely no one thinks of calling them at that that kind of hour. So uh, that's the thing. I mean, a, people need to be mindful and and also as I mean, leverage all this asynchronous communication or something. So we have like for example. Uh, teams folder and, and the documentation and updates and chat messages are there and you can start with yes so when when you get up in the morning please go through the message and then do this 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 and that works perfectly well and then for fine I mean maybe once a week or something you finalize a time which is which is not too odd for any any one of your counterparts and then obviously some travel I mean since it's not pandemic anymore the good thing is we can do some travel uh, most of the time, it's not so much for the technical or the job purpose, but you know, to get that human contact that you can you can maybe go for dinner together or you can go to the pub together or after work or something. So that thing is it's that's the good part of it that 
it, it, it doesn't have to be as heavy travel as we used to do before pandemic, but it's still not like totally forbidden like it was during the pandemic time. So this is, we can, we can really strike a balance. Lovely. What advice would you give somebody who is trying to, they're just starting out with a team where they've got different, different time zones, different languages and different diversities, cultures in play. What advice would you give somebody to make sure that they can get success quite quickly with that team structure? Yeah, first of all, yeah, I mean, advice seems very pretty as they use that, but maybe I can share my experiences. Uh, as uh, my first uh, uh, suggestion will be that, uh, I mean, start with, you know, like uh, with an open, open ear, open eyes, open heart. Like I have done the same thing when I, even though I have been in the industry for more than 20 years, I joined uh, Volvoca pretty recently. And we, uh, every time you join a new organization, in a way you start fresh again, even though you, you have uh, other experiences. So, uh, and start always start with a lot of humility, even though like I have, an, again, I mean, joined a new company. There is a tech stack, there is a product and I don't have a lot of insight into that. Uh, yes, I have experience and I can figure out easily. Still, I'm not an expert there yet. So we should have that kind of uh, approach for the, uh, for navigating the human relations there as well. There are people, there are teams, there are different uh, uh, you know, stakeholders and partners in, in maybe in HR, in, in marketing or, or procurement. And it's time to, I mean, you need to find out who, who are your closest counterparts, et cetera. So the first thing is to, is to uh, be like, uh, you know, listening in, be very open about everything. And then after maybe uh, you feel a little bit comfortable that you know the structure, you, you know the tech stack, you know the project, then you start building on onto that. And uh, when it comes to uh, the, the human relations, yes, I mean, these days, it doesn't matter where you work, you will always find people from many different backgrounds. For example, I mean, when I'm only working in Stockholm or in Gothenburg office. I have a lot of people who are originally from India and Iran and, and many other, maybe in uh, Eastern Europe, etc. So that's a reality. So if anyone comes to this industry thinking that they will find a homogeneous mass of people, that's really not true, not in any part of the world. So uh, that Actually, it's, it's, it has done kind of a good also to us uh, in the industry since no place is that homogeneous. People always kind of know. I mean, I haven't met anyone who has only worked with certain kind of people all through their uh, career. Uh, and then as, as I say that, I mean, first, maybe, uh, I mean, someone, I mean, you meet someone who look uh, very different, speaks in, with a different accent and all those things. My, feel that it's different, but as you start working together and you face the similar challenges and you get, uh, I mean, uh, when you do something successfully, you get similar kind of positive feedback. So that kind of fosters a very strong bonding and that then finally, you know, you overcome that barrier and become real friends. So I would say that start with a lot of humility and openness and uh, the first thing that if there is only one thing you should focus on, that should be building trust and based on empathy. That should be, that should be my, you know, advice or <laughs> my <laughs> great advice. Yeah. Great advice. 
And then just to kind of follow on from that, um, what, how has the industry changed in the last, what, 20 years that you've been working in it? How half of the problems changed and shaped your experience? Yeah, a lot of things changed. I mean, we were just discussing, I mean, sometimes you don't think about it because you're so much focused to your problems in hand. Is this delivery that release and that product, et cetera. But in, if you take a step back and think what happened in the last 10 years, 20 years, it's huge because I remember when I first started as an hands-on engineer in Bangalore, Google was in its infancy. Uh, Wikipedia wasn't there. And now it feels like if these two are not there, you go to any software engineer, they will feel clueless that, oh my God, what am I supposed to do? But we used to work. We used to work with the books and, and uh, find the syntaxes because today if you, if you forget a syntax, they will Google it. Um, but uh, th back then, the search engines were, were not that uh, matured, to say the least. Then, obviously, I mean, I remember the the first laptop probably I had. It had like 128 MB of, of RAM. And then today, uh, any any phone, even a crappy phone, has a lot more um, memory uh, in there. But it meant that when we were uh, first time coding, we were... Uh, thought that you have to be really mindful about how to utilize the memory and um, free up spaces, etc. So those were considered as uh, efficient coding, etc. And nowadays, it, it doesn't matter. You need more space. I mean, memory is, uh, um, chips are really, um, uh, I mean, um, cheap, so you can just add something more. And, and, and so that, that, that has changed when it uh, comes to like what, what constitutes better coding, efficient coding, etc. And that also means maybe we are we are generating more waste. But then, if you think about it, how uh, the whole conversation regard, uh, regarding security and and privacy has changed. When uh, first all this social media came into play with Facebook, and I think Google had a decision of it and Orkut or something. And now, uh, I mean, in the initial heydays, everyone was putting all the information that the pictures from their kitchen and bedroom, everything was in social media uh, because that was the cool thing to do. And now suddenly, I mean, everyone realized, oh my God, uh, I can't be spied upon. And then everyone is super conscious. And But now it's, it's so uh, intertwined and so connected. It's very difficult to opt out of all those things. And then probably you won't be able to navigate, I mean, quite literally, and unless you say yes to a lot of uh, uh, apps in your phone. So that conversation has also changed. And I think going forward, it, it will be a hot topic. I mean, how to strike a balance of sharing the data so that we can be connected and we can we can go forward. And also at the same time, maintaining the privacy. That could be one good thing. And the other thing is the AI is, uh, I mean, it was just automation, some some dumb bot. And from there to actually having a, having a bot who is, uh, who's almost like a human, like ChatGPT or something, can uh, converse with the same human intellect. And I think the development in that will also be like uh, more and more. So yes, I mean, a lot of change has happened, but I think we will change even faster changes going forward. Definitely. I think ChatGPT is so, so interested in how, how companies are going to use this and change their change that AI so definitely a great thing to bring up um just to move our focus a little bit I know when we spoke previously you gave me a great insight onto engineering without borders which is something that you do along the side yeah. could you share some insights into into that and what what they're trying to achieve 
Yes, so the the main concept there was based on uh, almost I mean, in line with uh, with everyone knows uh, Doctors Without Borders, as basically you utilize a skill and then apply it everywhere because we believe that like uh, the medicine, the engineering is also a skill which can uh, and should uh, aid the humanity. And then uh, the, all these country borders are quite artificial in that context. Uh, so what we try to do, I mean, uh, in, in many underdeveloped uh, regions, there are like uh, maybe a school in, uh, in some parts of Africa that needs a water filtration system. We send out engineers to who gives the know-how to build it. Uh, maybe the actual building, the funding comes from another NGO or something. That is one thing. Then we also uh, provide, for example, uh, computers to the girls, students there, that, so that basically, again, the diversity and inclusion, as I, and as, as I said, that there is no point trying to fix it at the top if you don't fix it at the bottom. So girls should first take up the uh, STEM subjects and then they will be your future engineers in the team. Um, and uh, like in Nepal, there, there is a um, like um, a stream or a river which which floods every year. So they had to build some kind of a flood management system. So again, our engineers went there and gave their know-how. And these engineers are either students from different uh, universities in Sweden or uh, people like us who are working in, in, in different uh, companies and want to do some voluntary work. So based on that, actually, I think we have been, um, yeah, doing some meaningful, impactful work throughout the work. That's incredible. What made you get part of an organization like this? Yeah. So I mean, um, at the name itself, and then I, I was curious. So first, uh, I think two or three years, I was a kind of a sleeping member, which meant that I just uh, paid my yearly fee, which is very cheap, under twenty crowns a year or something. And then felt good about it. Okay, fine. I'm donating some money. Uh, then I was very busy, and my daughter was younger, so I didn't have any extra time to spare for. But then situation changed, and then I thought, okay, maybe it's time for me to take a little bit, uh, I mean, get my hands dirty. And then I, I, they wanted a new board member. I applied. I got selected. Then I actually um, gets. I mean, then I, I could see. I mean, more closely what they're doing. And the last year, actually, they're then uh, chairman, he decided that uh, he he wants to step back. He was there for many, many years. And then uh, I stepped in. That's how actually it happened. Uh, I'm, I'm quite, I mean, it, it can be quite hectic, uh, balancing the job at Volvo together with this. But uh, yeah, I, I don't regret. It's quite, you know, it's a, it's not, it's, it's intrinsic fulfillment, I would say. It's quite good. No, that, that's incredible. Um, it's definitely something you should be proud of. Is that an organisation, you know, you'd think, is it worldwide? Is it just in Sweden? Um, how many people are part of it and where, where is its scope? Yeah. So the scope, we, we are uh, mainly having our projects in, in Africa. It's like Tanzania, Uganda, uh, Kenya, and uh, in Asia, we in Nepal. So we run different international projects, and then we have some domestic project, projects like uh, during the summer, we teach children how to code, et cetera. Um, and this organization, it's like there is a, a, is a central engineers without border, it is very loose, and then each country has their own. Like we have engineers without border, UK is without border, uh, Norway and Sweden actually have pretty good collaboration with UK, Norway, and Germany. 
so and all these countries uh, and uh, I think America is there but they are probably the biggest and richest so they they have I mean, more fund and more um, resources to do work and uh, but us we we just try to collaborate and find uh, uh, the places I mean all over the world I mean it can be done a lot of work can be done uh, sometimes for example there was a project I think at the end it didn't materialize that Doctors Without Border they wanted to work in in some re very remote area in, in Africa where uh, the coverage of Google Map or something is not very good. So they asked us if we can build a map for that local. So that was an app or something that we could help. So even we can help other organizations in this situation. So yes, I mean uh, it's it's a bit fragmented, but uh, yeah, we we are trying to expand and mostly focusing on Africa and Nepal. That's incredible when you think of like. Google Maps and like creating an app it's not really something you think of every day but yeah what a lovely thing that you can help people and impact their lives it's very very nice and wholesome to hear about um so we're moving on to our last planned question um which is what are some of the most important leadership qualities that you believe is necessary for an engineering manager in today's today's society yeah so I'm very much uh, sold into the idea of servant leader uh, because when I uh, started, I mean, and maybe when I wasn't a leader yet, uh, was an individual contractor, uh, individual contributor, and then uh, it was, uh, uh, I mean, the leaders were something, I mean, uh, they will take the front line and, and those kind of things. But with time, we have realized that the uh, concept of, of servant leader is, is quite important, especially in knowledge industries like that, where people are you know, uh, knowledgeable and educated, and they, they expect some kind of uh, uh, freedom and independence to work. Um, so it's quite important to, I mean, make people believe that they are doing the work and they are getting credit for it, and, and they are the one who is driving it. And uh, our job as manager is mainly to facilitate them and make sure that if they uh, find any impediment and how to remove that, uh, instead of like being very bossy, do this, this, this. Uh, and also, I mean, try to kind of uh, build an atmosphere where they feel that, okay, the, the ideas can thrive. I mean, obviously we have lots of constraints. I mean, people can't just have their, uh, the free field day of ideas. Obviously we, we need to have a kind of a business goal and vision and returns on investment on those kind of things. But still, even within those restrictions, um, the innovation uh, sh should foster. And especially in our kind of industry, if the work becomes too mundane and all, I mean, you'll not be able to retain the team. And uh, as, as I said in the beginning as well, it all starts with, you know, humility and, and building the trust and openness uh, because it's it's something, the respect is something that needs to be earned and it's you cannot just... Uh, expect that just because you were a boss that people will respect you probably they will show like that but that will not be the reality no that's a great piece a great piece of advice i think trust is such a huge thing for for leaders today um so definitely a quality that people must have um but that's great so just to move on to one of the questions that we got asked um asked for you to answer so if i share it on the screen they'd like yeah. to know um, what what frameworks or strategies, if any, do you use to async work while trying to keep it to a minimum? Yes, and I think I kind of touched upon it a little bit, is that especially if you have a very uh, widespread of, of uh, time zones, then it's important that you have to do a lot of work asynchronous. Uh, 
and uh, there are many tools uh, and i would say that we use uh, slack and teams quite extensively uh, within engineering organizations it's more slack but uh, in other organizations like product and business and hr it's teams so i mean i as an engineering manager sitting at the interface so i have to use both <laughs> be a little challenging um, and then we have a collaboration tool. It's Mido board and for drawing and things like that. Figma, where you can collaborate on, on uh, PowerPoint point type things. And then uh, what else? Notion, yeah, Notion page where we, yeah, that's really called the collaborative tool, manage the backlog. And then obviously we have other things like Jira, uh, but that's mainly used by uh, the hands-on engineers a lot, uh, not so much by the managers. Lovely. How do you, um, as as a team of different, like, well, you're in minimum of three time zones at the moment, yes, in yeah. the US and CET time zone, how do you, how many meetings do you have per week where you can collaborate on ideas or do you keep them to maybe one a week or only when necessary? Uh, you mean the, the meeting where... Uh, we meet the team or like the I asked yeah that so we, everyone's I, together yeah so I have my leadership team meeting so it means like I have engineering managers reporting to me that meeting we have uh, every week uh, but we, we I mean each engineering manager they talk to their employees and they also have it normally it's once a week but those uh, things yes maybe in one or two cases it's uh, it's a bit mixed but those teams are at least in the same time zone uh, may not be like in Sweden, it could be in two cities, but still in the same time zone like that. Uh, and uh, in some cases, yes, I know that uh, one team in Gothenburg, they have two uh, consultants from India and uh, they try to try to schedule the meetings maybe early in the morning so that it doesn't become too late for them. Uh, but yes, in the long term, I mean, they are also used to it. They maybe start the day a little bit late, and start it, uh, I mean, end also a little bit late. Um, so, and yeah, I mean, we try to kind of tell people that get used to more uh, async work, but at the end of the day, at least once a, a week meeting the whole team, um, it's not a bad idea. No, that's great. Have you ever had a case where people have overworked because because they're trying to keep in touch with a different time zone, they've ended up doing a, a 12, 13 hour day rather than just their set number of hours? Yes, actually I've seen that in, in some cases. Uh, sometimes it happens because, well, on call, it's it's not really on call, but like a third line support or something and something got broken and then uh, in, in another part of the world and then they need to fix it. And maybe if it's like sometimes it's just bad luck, it, it happens and in two consecutive releases. Uh, so there had been occasions like that. And in some occasions I have seen managers actually really struggling. Because as I say that uh, as a manager, maybe I have three different teams in three different locations and those three teams are working in their time zone mostly, apart from maybe one meeting a week. Uh, but I as a manager, if I have to coordinate the three, then for me, it becomes a, like a really long day. Uh, so yes, sometimes we have seen this. We try to fix it either by asking them to take some extra day off or maybe trying to find some some other, you know, appear uh, who can help them something like that but yes i have seen such cases lovely it's very interesting to hear um, and then the final question that we have for you today um is from jamie he he said that it's great to hear from you um but do you take cultural and religious 
differences into consideration when deciding software engineering practices and project outcomes, for example, fasting? Yeah, I mean, we try to accommodate uh, everything. So it's it's not that something we do on a, uh, on a regular basis, I would say. But if we could see that someone, uh, there is a person and it's the month of Ramadan and we know that uh, he is fasting, uh, we will uh, definitely uh, try to organize the meetings which is not colliding with, with uh, his you know prayer time or maybe the, the time when he is supposed to take his food or something like that uh, so i would say yes i mean as a manager i mean once again i approach that not so much as a uh, in a religious thing but as a humane thing uh, that to me i mean it doesn't matter why is it doing fasting it could be for religious reason it could be for health reason or whatever but i as a manager know that that man is is not eating for a substantial portion of the day and i should try to distribute the work so that it it doesn't uh, impact his health and well-being so i take it in that spirit and then why he is doing this is really his personal choice but we really need to be mindful about that Definitely. Uh, no, it's great. Great to hear. I think um, the highlight of this conversation is that as a leader, you should be main and you should build trust. Um, and by doing that, you'll be able to work with people regardless of where they're located. Um, but no, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing your thoughts on this. Um, thank you so much for joining us here. Do you have any, any last thoughts, any words of wisdom before we end the stream? Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, I mean, if you have any feedback, please uh, share that. And I would like to hear them as well. Perfect. Lovely. Well, we will tag you in our LinkedIn post. So anybody who would like to connect, please, I'm sure, feel free in any questions we can point your way. Um, but it's been a great, great conversation. So thank you for listening and thank you for participating.